Uh, this morning we're continuing to think about Isaiah and those names that are given to Jesus. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're reading from page 694. And we're going to read these verses, and then in a moment we're also going to read from John's Gospel, the Gospel according to John. But for now, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're reading from verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, for they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Turning to John chapter 1. And you'll find that on page 1063. John chapter 1, reading from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your words, our desire is that we would see the glory of Christ. And so Lord, help us to hear you speak. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It's no secret, many kids and many of us, I'm sure, enjoy superhero movies. Uh, whether it be Spider-Man or whoever it is, many people enjoy a good superhero story. Uh, but I wonder if you are one of those people that enjoy these stories. I wonder if you ever noticed that in these movies and stories, there are echoes of another story. Uh, don't worry if you are not a fan of superhero movies. Uh, the only re reason I, I bring this up is because of something I, I find quite interesting. Uh, recently, there are there's been some scholars and they've looked at comic books and superhero movies and they've said that these whole collection of superheroes in our culture, uh, they get their inspiration from ancient mythology and archetypes from religion. Often in these heroes, they have powers that mimic some of the stories of ancient gods in Greece or Rome. And sometimes there are even echoes of Christianity in these stories. And some people have said that this speaks to and exposes a desire that we have in our hearts. There's a desire for a rescuer, a hero, a champion who will come and fight for us and deliver us and put everything right. And this desire gets expressed in our movies and our literature. I don't know what you think about that, whether it lands with you or not. But what I do know is that as we turn to Isaiah 9 this morning, it speaks of a rescuer, a hero, a champion, someone who'll come and fight for us, someone who'll deliver us and put everything right, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus being called the Wonderful Counselor, and this week we're thinking about this title, The Mighty God, and this title, uh, gets at this idea that Jesus is a divine warrior, a champion, the hero that we need who came to this world to fight for us. But firstly, let's think about this. Jesus is the mighty God who came as one of us. In Isaiah 9, there's this picture of transformation for people who live in a harsh, dark, and sorrowful world. There's wonderful hope. At verse one, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Verse two, this darkness will be dispelled by light. And verse three, there'll be great rejoicing. And it all comes about, verse six, due to the birth of a child called Mighty God. This child will be our champion, our hero, who turns light into, or turns darkness into light and gloom and sorrow into rejoicing. Jesus is the mighty God who came as one of us. And isn't that what John 1 teaches us? And we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the words, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. According to John, Jesus is utterly glorious and full of grace and truth. And yet he came as one of us. He made his dwelling among us. 
And John 1 explains to us who this Jesus is. According to John, this one has come from the Father and he has always been. In other words, he is the mighty God and the eternal one who has always been. And John 1 verse 3 tells us that through him, all things have been made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is both the eternal God and the creator of all things. This is who Jesus is. And yet he came as one of us. He was born in an insignificant place to an insignificant family, and he lived most of his life unnoticed. Uh, if you think about for us, most of the time, we, uh, we try to live our lives to be noticed. And yet Jesus, the God who has always been and created everything, went unnoticed in the world he had made and unnoticed by the people he made. He willingly came as one of us. And so he became subject to the same pain and frustrations and temptations that we face. He lived in a world of darkness and sorrow. He mourned over evil. He wept at death. And therefore, as we try to live in a world with many frustrations and sorrow and darkness, isn't it good to be reminded that the Jesus we worship and trust in, that he faced life in this world too, that he experienced the same temptations and trials that we face. Isn't it good to know that the Jesus we worship and trust in is familiar with life in this broken world because he came as one of us. But at the same time, we can have great confidence this morning in this child. We can have great confidence that he can put everything right and be our hero and champion because in many other ways, he's not like us. He is the mighty God. We've got to remember that when God became man, he didn't lose some of his divine attributes. He remained fully God and fully man. These two natures didn't become mixed. There wasn't at some times that Jesus was God and at other times he was man. No, he remained fully God and, and fully man. And when we think about this, when we think about who Jesus is, 100% God, 100% man, but without any sin, when we think about this, naturally we feel overwhelmed. Our minds are stretched and we can't understand this glorious fact of history. But here's the thing, the truth about Jesus' identity, fully God and, and fully man, it's not for our analysis as such, but the truth of who Jesus is, the mighty God, fully man, fully God, this truth is for our worship. It's for us to come and adore him for who he is. We come and adore Jesus, the one who is the mighty God and who came as one of us. And then secondly, Jesus is the mighty God who came for us. Here's the message of Christmas. Look with me at Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. Jesus is the mighty God who was given to us, who came for us. And to understand the significance of this, I think it's helpful to remember what was happening in Isaiah's day. 
For a time, God's people had forgotten about God and what God had done for them. They went astray, they sinned against God. To the backdrop of the book of Isaiah, this is the big story. And because of their sin, God's judgment came on them in the form of exile. And that's the context. God's people face exile. They are far from home, removed from their homeland, and they want deliverance and rescue. And so what do they do? Well, they wait for their king to come and get them. And Isaiah and I looks forward to the coming of this king. But you know, their historical exile is a picture of our spiritual exile. A number of weeks ago, we thought about uh, Jacob, uh, the life of Jacob and how Jacob was far from home. And we thought about how as Christians, our citizenship belongs to another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And in a very real sense, we feel far from home too. We live in a world of darkness and need of light. We live in sorrow and we're in need of joy. Darkness is this metaphor for all that is wrong and broken in this world. And sorrow exists because of all that is wrong and broken. And therefore we too wait for our King to come. But the really good news about Christmas is the King we need has come and he's called Mighty God and he came for us. Your God came for you. He didn't send anyone else. Your God came for you to seek you out and pursue you, to be your champion and hero, the one who fights for you and delivers you and becomes your rescuer. Jesus is the mighty God who came for us. And yet, so often, we know this to be true, in in our world, uh, Jesus is unrecognized and and not received. Turn with me to to John chapter one, we read from it a moment ago. And in verses 10 and 11, we're told uh, about the response that Jesus receives. And in verse 10, we, we read this. He was in the world, that's Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came for us. And yet so many, for so many, Jesus is unrecognized and not received. It was described to me not that long ago, a little bit like, you know that song, uh, uh, Driving Home for Christmas? Uh, Maybe some of you will be driving home for Christmas to see a a relative, uh, setting off to see them making that journey. Um, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're making that journey to go see a relative for Christmas. You're, you're making that journey just to see them. You, you can't wait to see their face. Uh, the journey is long, but finally you arrive. The, the car turns up that familiar road. You see the familiar driveway, that familiar door. You get out, you knock the door, you wait for them to answer. And they come to the door. But imagine for a moment... They answer the door and, and they say, sorry, I don't know you. And they shut the door on your face. The person that you have journeyed for to see and made that long journey to go and see, shuts the door, says, I don't know you. 
and they shut the door on you. Well, Jesus is the mighty God who traveled an infinite distance, who journeyed to come to us, and yet so many say, sorry, I don't know you, and we shut the door. And with that door shut, we shut out any hope of light that dispels darkness, any hope of joy, of that deep-seated contentment. That's what biblical joy is. We shut out light and joy. And so this Christmas, don't ignore the King. Don't ignore the mighty God who came as one of us and who came for you. Instead, consider what Jesus has done for you. And that's the third thing I want us to look at this morning. Jesus is the mighty God who came to fight for us. The whole Christmas story is not simply a heartwarming story, a feel-good story of a baby in a manger, but instead it's actually a war story. Someone has said that when the baby cried in a manger, it was actually a battle cry. That's what this name, Mighty God, is getting at. Jesus is the mighty God who came to fight for us. So in the Hebrew, uh, the word mighty God is taken from uh, or translated from the words El Gabor. And the word El means God. And this word Gabor is used throughout the Bible in many contexts, uh, often to do with a battle. So for example, in the story of David and Goliath, in that story, Goliath is called the champion of the Philistines. He's their hero and warrior. But the Hebrew word that's used is Gabor. And therefore, when we read this child to be born is called Mighty God or El Gabor, we're to think this child is a divine warrior, a champion and a hero for his people. And this reminds us of an important theme throughout the Bible story. The theme of this divine warrior. So if you think about the Exodus story, God's people are suffering, they're under oppression, they're crying out, and what does God do? He fights for his people. Both in the 10 plagues and in the events at the Red Sea, God engages in this war against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And this isn't a kind of a one-off way of doing things. No, instead, throughout the Bible story, God delivers his, his people from enemy nations. God fights for his people. But all of these battles, they look beyond themselves to something greater. And the prophets look forward to the coming of a divine warrior. And that's what you have in Isaiah 9. So if you look at Isaiah 9 verse 4, it says, For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So here, Isaiah looks forward to a time when the enemies of God's people will be defeated, when the weapons of their enemies will be broken. And verse five says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Here, Isaiah looks forward to the end of the war when every warrior's boot and garment is consumed and this end, it all comes about through the birth of this child. Jesus comes to fight for us. 
And therefore, when you look at the Gospels, uh, Jesus' ministry, uh, part of Jesus' ministry is that of a divine warrior. He comes and fights against all that is evil and broken. He faces off the devil in the wilderness. He casts out demons. He rescues the enslaved. He heals the sick. He defeats death. And chiefly, we see this at the cross. And so uh, before we even get to the cross, back in Genesis 3, we have this image looking forward through history to the cross, and it's that of a great fight. In Genesis 3, everything went wrong in the Garden of Eden. The world that God had created was paradise, but humanity then and us today said that God is not enough, and we shut God out, and as a result, our relationship with God is broken and there's disharmony, but also creation becomes, begins to unravel and there's disharmony. But back in Genesis 3, when everything went wrong in the garden, the world that God created was paradise, but everything went wrong because of our choices. And yet in the middle of that dark picture in Genesis 3, in verse 15, God promised an offspring, a person who would come and fight and put everything back in place. In verse 15 of Genesis 3, we're told, a champion will come who will crush Satan's head and in return his heel will be struck. In other words, Satan will receive a fatal blow and, his, and this champion will be wounded. And of course, this picture is looking forward to the cross when Jesus, our mighty God, would come and fight and defeat Satan. He would crush his head and Jesus himself would be wounded. Jesus came into this world to destroy Satan and defeat sin and to rescue and restore this broken world. Jesus came to fight for us. And yet right now, right now, in some sense, the war isn't over. Right now, evil still wars against good in this world and there's so many casualties. There still exists sin and sorrow and darkness is very real. But Advent is about looking forward to Christ's return. And that will bring about the final phase of this divine warrior theme. So if you read the book of Revelation, there's all this war imagery as Jesus comes to fight and defeat life's greatest enemies, all wickedness and evil, sin and sorrow, sickness and death, Jesus comes to defeat. And so is this Christmas, as you think about the Christmas story, Yes, think baby in a manger, but also think, here comes a mighty warrior. Christmas is a little bit like towards the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia. Towards the end of that book, there's a great fight and there's a victory. For so long, the, the witch had ruled over Narnia. It was always winter, but never Christmas. The witch was evil and oppressive and cruel. Life in Narnia was not as it should have been. But towards the end of the book, there is this great fight and there's a victory. And we're told that the boys, Peter and Edmund, 
And all of Aslan's army are fighting desperately against a crowd of horrible creatures. It's the witch and, and her army. And there's far more of them. They're far outnumbered. There's no way they can win this battle. It seems as though the fight is lost. They are losing. And everywhere they look, horrible things are happening. But then Aslan arrives. And the book says, then with a roar that shook all of Narnia from the western lamppost to the shores of the eastern sea, the great beast flung himself upon the white witch. He knocks her down, he fights, he wins, and she is dead. Aslan, this great lion and king, comes to the battlefield to fight for his people. He fights and rescues the seemingly defeated. And that's what Christmas is like. Jesus came to fight on the battlefield, to fight and win for his people, to fight and rescue the seemingly defeated, to win a battle that we could never win. Jesus is the mighty God who came to fight for us. And so what's left for us to do this morning? Right now, there's much darkness, much sorrow. The truth is we can't escape it. We can't defeat the darkness and the sense of sorrow it brings. Right now, sometimes this world can make us feel like the battle is lost and we're as good as defeated. And so what can we do? We can take cover. We can take cover in Jesus. If you like right now, we're on the battlefield and there's many casualties. Right now, Satan still wages a war and wreaks havoc in this world. There's much darkness. There's all kind of sadness in this world. And so what do we do? We take cover. We take cover in Jesus and we wait for his return. When you feel like you have no fight left in you, we take cover in Jesus. We take cover under his wings because Jesus came to fight and win at the cross and one day he'll finally return and deliver us from everything sad in this world. He came to fight and defeat life's greatest enemies, to defeat sin and sorrow, sickness and death and everything that is sad. Jesus is our mighty God, our champion and our warrior. Take cover in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, left to ourselves, we are lost. Left to ourselves, we cannot overcome the darkness. We cannot discover the light. We cannot have that joy, that deep-seated contentment that only you can bring. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal one, the creator of all things, who willingly came for us, who came as one of us, 
and experienced all the bitterness of life in this world and who came for us, who came to fight for us and defeat life's greatest enemies, to conquer death, to defeat sin and sorrow, sickness, and all that is wrong and sorrowful in this world. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and we take cover in him. It is in his name we pray, amen.